Hey, welcome to the Spark of Madness. I am one of your co-hosts, Matt Crager, this week. Uh, joined by only one of our other two co-hosts as Ben is out. Uh, so it's just me and Aaron. Hey, Aaron. Yes, but we also have a Matt. That's a true. second we do have one, a, a spare. Uh, that's right. Should you we drop have a out? Very special. Yeah, <laughs> it, as it always seems, whenever we have a guest on, there's a lot of name overlap. Uh, where somebody could just easily be replaced from a name standpoint. That's why we got to get Ty back. His name is unique. <laughs> Very, yeah. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm really, really excited. Uh, uh, this week we have a special guest. Um, uh, I'm actually excited for two very specific reasons. The first of which is I really love uh, his, his podcast, The Obsessive Viewer. Uh, in particular, uh, his year-end podcast. Uh, movie roundups and hearing all the stats and stuff. Uh, I listened to the full the full thing, and I'm really into all the letterbox stats. So, uh, But yeah, this week we're joined by Matt Hurt. Hey, Matt. Hey, guys. How's it going? Thank you guys so much for having me, and thank you for the kind words. Yeah, uh, it's super nice to know that people actually like all the stat tracking and stuff, because I feel like we get so in the weeds with that. That sounds like a Matt thing. <laughs> not not a you, Matt, yeah, no, but a I, my Matt. I think it's a Matt thing. Just yeah. To, yeah. Matt's and stats, they go together. Matt's and stats. Um, but Matt, I, I wanted to give you kind of right out of the gate just for people who haven't, you know, for our listeners or viewers or whomever who haven't heard of you, we're all Indiana, uh, you know, podcasters, but I wanted to give them, give you a chance to kind of introduce yourself and tell, uh, tell everybody kind of what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so my name is Matt Hurt and I run obsessiveviewer.com, which is just my personal website where we post movie reviews and stuff. Um, and then I also created, co-host, produce all that stuff, uh, the Obsessive Viewer podcast, which is kind of just the broad movie and TV podcast, um, which is at ObsessiveViewer.com. And then I also have two offshoot podcasts. There's Anthology, which is my solo podcast where I'm reviewing The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. That's at AnthologyPod.com. And then the third podcast is Tower Junkies, where me and my friend Tiny uh, we just kind of share our love of Stephen King, all things Stephen King. So that's mm. at com, And yeah, so those are, that's pretty much all that I do <laughs> for now. Yeah, no, Matt, I, I've, I haven't listened to your other ones, but the fact that you are going through fresh watching the Twilight Zone kind of hits my, hits my sweet spot. So uh, I, it, just for my understanding, you've never watched Twilight Zone before, and you're going back through completely cold, right? Oh, completely cold. That's that's an event. Yep. I've I've gone through the first two seasons of the original series, and then I also do bonus reviews of, like, Black Mirror and the new Twilight Zone and CBS All Access. But, yeah, it's my first time going through the Twilight Zone, and it's just – it's really interesting because the thing that I, I like to say is that, okay, it's me just – like watching the show that is iconic that everyone loves that I have no like a attachment to, but it's also me kind of discovering one of my favorite shows of all time because it is, it's that iconic and great. Like I have a poster for one of my favorite episodes there. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's a crazy logo awesome. there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love it. It's, it's a lot of fun. Man. Well, and ironically, before we get to the movie we're going to do on this show this week, um, our last last time for our show, we did uh, um, Duck Soup and kind of got it got into the weeds ourselves with uh, especially with Ben, who has a, a, a long track record and Aaron, too. I don't I don't want to overstep that. I know some Mark stuff, but he is the king. You know, yeah, we really talked about the Marx Brothers. And ironically, a couple weeks ago, your obsessive viewer podcast reviewed that as well. Yeah, uh, that was that was such a nice like coincidence. What are the chances? Yeah. Unplanned. Um, hmm. yeah. We're just gonna we're gonna pepper in our like duck soup references throughout this whole show. I think, even though it, <laughs> there's no overlap. I won't at think all. of a one. <laughs> um, I love your as review of it because like I went into it on my show with having not seen any any Marx Brothers anything, and like hearing you guys kind of deconstruct a lot of the comedy bits and the history of the Marx Brothers. It's just a, really enlightening. Um, oh, yeah, Peshaw. What was, uh, <laughs> what was what's going to be a long-term thing where me and one of my co-hosts are doing a series of episodes about just kind of picking and choosing movies from Roger Ebert's Great Movies list and uh, discussing them. So it's, it's going to be a very long <laughs> journey, but it'll be interesting. So 
was this the so when we asked you to come on this show and I, i'll get to my second reason why i'm really excited for you to be here and i i hope it can't, pays off because i didn't talk to you about it in advance i don't think but uh Matt didn't plan something I, I, I don't know if i don't know if so this week we're doing blast from the past from 1999 which stars brendan fraser and alicia silverstone i don't know if this is on is this on roger ebert's best movies list i'll eat my hat if it is <laughs> <laughs> but I'm willing to bet that it's not. Um, okay. I'm, I'm, curi- I'm actually curious what he what he thought of it when when it came out because I could see him being pretty uh, pretty harsh on this one. <laughs> yeah, and, and I I'm kind of interested to talk about this because I have I kind of have a I I don't mean to spoil it I kind of have a soft spot for some of this. But Ooh. Aaron, I know this was your this was your pick initially <laughs> when we were discussing our next movie and. You were com- you were like you brought it up several times. Like I know. Edge was like, what if what if we did these other ones that are more? No, like, no, no, no. blast from the past. Relevant. You're like, no, blast from the past. So <laughs> what made? Why? I guess my only question is why? Why are we doing this? Look, look here. This is a movie that I had never seen before. It flew completely under my radar, and then uh, someone made mention of it, and I didn't think much of it. And then until they said Brendan Fraser, and I was like, I'm sold. I'm watching it. <laughs> he makes every movie better. I don't care what anyone says. So before we dig in, before we get into uh, the, the details, let me read kind of just the initial uh, plot synopsis if you haven't seen it. Like I said, this is from 1999, directed by Hugh Wilson, who I don't... I looked at some of his other movies, but... Is this I, a Mario Brothers a, situation? I, it's not a robust catalog. I know that he did Dudley Do-Right, so there's a... Oh, that's another one I need to see. We'll do that next week. (laughs) (laughs) It it did make its money back, so that's kind of interesting. Impressive. The plot is Adam Weber, who's played by Brendan Fraser, has lived his entire life in confinement in a fallout shelter in Pasadena, California. When the Weber family's rations of food and supplies grow thin, the Weber family, played by Sissy Spacek and uh, uh, Christopher Walken, by the way, Uh, Calvin, uh, Christopher Walken, sends him on a dangerous restocking mission. When Adam emerges from the Weber family's subterranean refuge for the first time, he finds that rumors of a nuclear apocalypse were totally false and meets gorgeous Eve Eve Rustikoff. So you get the Adam and Eve play there. Uh, She's played by Alicia Silverstone. Um, so yeah, 1962, I think is the, the opening, uh, Mm -hmm. timeframe and, uh, Sissy Spacek is pregnant. They think there's going to be a nuclear uh, blast, and they rush to the bomb shelter. Uh, and uh, ultimately, he he grows up in the shelter uh, before emerging in in modern day uh, to experience the new world. That's kind of the. Is that uh, anything you guys would add from just a, a general plot standpoint? Uh, no, I think that covers all the bases, but there's more to it. Yeah. Sure. Um. Yeah, I think that it's a pretty a pretty concise way to to uh, synopsize it. Synopsize it. If that Google wasn't a word, that. it is now. Um. So yeah, I I I don't know where to really begin, other than with I, I think the start. Actually, for me, I was going to kind of ask what what for, what worked for the movie and what didn't. For me, I think the strongest what works is really the the setup is the table setting they do with with the bunker and which the, is very well out. set up yeah yeah the fake out of you know that ultimately it was just like a plane crash right that they think it was a new like nuclear holocaust but it was just a, a plane crash that destroyed their house um and that kind of incites us getting to know how eccentric and you know he there's a little bit of a con- conspiracy brain to Christopher Walken's dad character, but he has that like charming inventor to yeah. to counterbalance it. Um, what, and I just loved everything about their bunker. So may I say that their setup is perfect because had they it could you could have just had it any sort of way where they falsely believe they're about to get blown up in the Cuban Missile Crisis, whatever, but. The way it's set up with the plane crashing directly on their house, had they not gone into that fallout shelter, they would have died anyway. So it's not yeah, a completely a, there, false there situation. Is, it's not like one of those things where if like they didn't, 
there would have like one of those where if this didn't happen they yeah. could have just kept living and there was no re reason for the movie to exist at all right. there was they still would have kind died. of like a yeah <laughs> so it's not completely nonsensical false situation sort of thing because if it, if yeah. it was me and I was down there for thirty five years on a on bad information, I'd have been upset, mildly upset. Yeah. <laughs> and also just the fact that they had like that big party and then they dismissed it because of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Like that gives a lot more. Like okay, yeah, all their friends are like, yeah, they were there. Like we literally just saw them, so <laughs> they're clearly dead. Um, yeah. And it reinforces kind of the, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just a, a, this is kind of gets to my soft spot thing of like the, you know, Cold War, Vietnam era type of movies and narratives and stuff that I just find fascinating. But the fact that they, there was so much paranoia during that time anyway, that you could believe that this would cause them. And they even had the, what did they, was it a TV ad or something? Am I remembering right? Where they're, you know, buy a bunker. I forget if there was like they were a running newsreels at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I just thought the premise of you know a pregnant woman going down into a bunker and being so steadfast about staying down there and a child being raised in that isolated environment is such an interesting concept. Yeah, not a lot of movies will will be that bold with their with their setups and stuff. I, that's part of the reason I like this movie so much is because it's such a kooky concept. You don't see that anymore. It's, yeah, uh, I, I liked it too. It reminded me, it kind of seems like this type of movie was pretty, I, I don't know if I would say prevalent in the late 90s, but like it reminds me of at the same time we had like the Brady Bunch movie where it's a bunch of like the Brady the Bradys are out of time or they, they haven't acclimated to 90s like time or whatever. And it's uh, I, so I thought that was kind of interesting, but that was what worked best for me in this movie was just uh, the naive comedy of Brendan Fraser going through and, and just like experiencing like the 90s as if it was a post-apocalyptic wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the, his initial reaction to to the which uh, another thing, the the use of the the like malt shop progression to yeah uh, like dilapidated cult <laughs> like <laughs> it goes through all these phases of time of like 80s bar 90s bar and the, the growth of that character uh to when he initially emerges and like to him he sees this like creepy dusty guy who's unkempt and so he he believes it initially before going obviously going out into the real world another perfect setup yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the progression of the diner and everything was was fantastic to me. <laughs> and I like that it actually played somewhat of a role at the end of the movie too. It kind of circled back and it wasn't just like a funny bit that was played throughout. It had some small bearance on the plot to an extent. There's nothing wrong with bits, but if you can tie them in, it makes yeah. it that much better. Yeah. Um I, so Brendan Fraser kind of emerges. He's now in his 30s and has only known, he's wearing uh, like a hand-stitched jacket from his era that his mom made him. And all he knows is is the bunker pretty much. And, uh, you know, his dad tries to explain baseball to him and he, he, does, he just can't understand it. And he goes up with his baseball cards and tries to sell them so that he can bring rations back down. Um, the, I, I debated whether to bring this up, but I, I think it's worth mentioning because one of the very first things he says when he comes out is probably one of the most, um, I think it's fair to say controversial moments of like, he says, like he sees a, a black woman who's a mail carrier and goes, Hey, a Negro. Oh, my lucky stars, a Negro. Say what? How do you do, ma'am? I do all right. <laughs> Good. Okay. Yeah, it's like, that's the thing, though. It is... was kind of startling, but I also can kind of, and I'll just say first off, is that I can understand putting that, I thought it was bold to put that into the movie. Let well, me yeah, this is 1999. It wasn't that big of an issue then. 
and and then in 1962 that was just the word you used so right and that, it completely that follows the, the interesting ideas that they would pull that forward and he's now, so excited he's like oh my lucky stars <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah now where i think this part kind of falls apart is where she kind of responds pot like less angry i guess that to me seemed a little unrealistic but um, I you there. yeah i didn't have a problem with the actual scene or anything because it because it, it was reflective of the time that he was like uh in essentially still in mm -hmm. mentally because of the bunker but mm -hmm. yeah her response was it was a, it was a little too like oh well hey <laughs> nice yeah thing. like she was a little bit befuddled she brushed it off yeah <laughs> i mean it it is a a descriptive true word you could say so What's there to get um, mad at? Where does he initially kind of bounce off to? Does he go to try and... I forget. I know he, the adult he freaks out with the poisonous the sky, gas. right? <laughs> well, he finds the adult bookstore with the poisonous gas. <laughs> and then I think after that, when he's on the bus, maybe? Yeah, that's when he's yelling at the bus driver to stop over and over. <laughs> oh, we're moving! <laughs> The energy has any kind like there's two or three times where he yells at the bus driver to stop, like because he doesn't know that you can just pull the handle down or whatever. Um, the the energy of that's just so great because it's like it's right on the line of like being panicky, but it's also like he just doesn't know any better. It's it, it's a really mm -hmm. good. I tried to give the bus driver this hundred dollar bill, but he wouldn't take it. He seemed really angry about it. Not to rewind too much, but um, the reason that the Christopher Walken isn't kind of doing this himself is because he had a heart attack when he went up. And I don't want to, the fact that we make reference to the adult bookstore and he goes up with a, like this suit on and runs into like transvestite. Uh, he, he runs into like, he's, he's walking down the street, goes into the adult video store. He runs he into all the wrong things like, at the wrong time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's very funny that he like, this is his impression of the world, which is why you know, Adam Brendan Fraser thinks that he's like, there's a subspecies of mutants up there. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, if you find one, one woman who's, you know, normal, you bring her down here, uh, which we can talk about later, but I, I didn't want to skip over that. Cause I thought it was funny. I really enjoyed the Christopher Walken character in this movie because they portray him as the, the sort of off kilter scientist type, but he's never a bad father. He always mm -hmm. sort of brings it back. In a, in a lovable way, and I, I like that. Because he wasn't completely an idiot. Yeah. It's usually the, the ten. Also that Christopher Walken's still acting, apparently. I looked I looked him up because I was like, he's got to be he's got to be getting kind of up there. Like, I would have thought he would have retired or something, but apparently he still has roles coming out. But, but yeah. Wow. Um, I liked his character, too. Yeah. I, I, I kind of liked, because all the way through, even though Brendan Fraser essentially becomes the lead uh, we a, basically only follow him. It's kind um, of a weird where, Whereas switch. the first the first thirty minutes are basically only Sissy Spacek and Christopher Walken. You can kind of see their imprint on him. Like even though they're unseen, you can kind of they see their him. personalities having been you know transferred over to him, which I thought was it, it. It speaks to how impactful both of them were at the start of the movie that you can kind of trace his behavior back to them am i the only one completely put off by the mom's plastic surgery nose every time it's on screen <laughs> it's hard to watch it's like michael jackson territory man oh wow it didn't even really register with me honestly. <laughs> um, but i did like the parent the parents uh characters and everything but uh, like i i kind of thought that the movie was a little bit weirdly paced like it's like almost, uh, I don't know, like 30 to 45 minutes before Alicia Silverstone's even introduced or anything. Mm -hmm. And then like, it's like, turns into a completely different movie because, you know, they have to do all that stuff in, uh, above ground. But, uh, but I do agree that the parents kind of influence does permeate through the rest of his character. So like, it's needed to have that kind of lengthy setup. So I don't mind it. I, I don't, yeah, I think for me, you know, there, there was a, 
there is kind of like a big swing, right? And I think you you phrased it perfectly is that it's kind of high concept, but it almost does become almost two different movies, especially even uh, just in, it, it becomes almost a romantic comedy it uh, is versus one. this high concept kind of yeah. silly, you know, uh, fiction that, you know, they're, they're, they're play out a hypothetical, basically. It, it then becomes almost a, a more generic type of fish out of water romantic comedy but um i and maybe for me it's just the start of the movie and that initial like i'm in the new world that to me was just so strong that i i enjoyed it now once it kind of shifts over um that's where there's a couple more weaker points but i will say i was texting aaron this that uh brendan fraser when he first came onto the scene i was like brendan fraser you're not very good and then within like two two minutes i was like no i'm wrong he's he awesome. proved he's you're wrong this. every time <laughs> he's the best I, yeah yeah i thought he was great in this movie like he plays that just naive but happy go lucky kind of guy like it's it's something that is so goofy and so against like all of these like straight characters and everything that I don't know. He plays it. He plays it really well. Um, I, I really liked it. Never for a second did I doubt his authenticity. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like even when he is like having that kind of uh, altercation with Nathan Fillion, which Nathan Nathan Fillion was in this movie. Yeah, he awesome. sure was. Um, <laughs> he's having that altercation where he's kind of threatening him, or he's standing up for Eve, and he's like threatening to like fight him or whatever in like the most sincere and friendly way possible <laughs> if that makes sense even if it's a contradiction i know how to defend myself <laughs> <laughs> i love that scene where he just like kind of is like looking away and keeps punching like when <laughs> someone's coming to hit him and he's not going to get sucker punched because he's been taught by his dad to like how to fight and stuff yeah they, they <laughs> made sure to so show funny. that scene in the bunker where the dad and him are boxing yeah Good little setup. And his dance moves too. His dance moves came through. Yeah. Everything was was like a, a like a what do you call it? An alley oop, in sport ball <laughs> terms. Have you guys seen uh, Bedazzled the movie? I have. I just don't remember a lick of it. I haven't seen it at all. I, I avoided I, it. I saw. I remember in high school watching it and just loving it. I am sure if I watched it now, I'd hate it. But I remember Brendan Fraser just being so over the top crazy and he plays like 15 characters That's right <laughs> so he's just every version of them and when you said sport ball it reminded me of when he plays the bat this like eight foot tall basketball player because one of his devil's wishes is to be a like a celebrity superstar wasn't one of the scenes where he's like sweating profusely he's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just like we play real good <laughs> just like sweating all over his face now i would never want to diss your teammates in any way shape or form but you do realize that you smashed the bits will chamberlain's heretofore unbreakable record of 100 points in a single basketball game set in hershey pennsylvania all those years ago Oh, man, you know, you just got to play one game at a time and go out there and give 110%, and uh, you got to show you want it more than they do when chips fall where they may. Thank you very much. Uh, back to you, Jerry and Dan. <laughs> he's like, and he has no no vocabulary at all. He's like a caveman. It's so funny. I remember there being, like, brow extensions on him or something. <laughs> there had to be prosthetics in my memory. I don't know. Yeah. I'll have to check I out. To... Yeah, you should check it out, Matt. I'm going to have to watch Doug uh, and Do Right. I haven't seen any. Uh, I, I haven't watched Doom Patrol. I don't know what he's been up to other than that. So I it, I miss him. He's mostly been just dealing with alimony. <laughs> <laughs> he's fine, though. So, so Matt, I, the, the, I, I guess I'll put you on the spot. And I don't know if, if this is even relevant, to be honest. Uh, but I... I heard from our friends that you're the you're gonna love this or not podcast that you interviewed Brendan Fraser. Is that oh. true? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was last year. It was it was it was like a three minute interview. It wasn't even well, that's like more anything you could ever hope for. Anything. But at Heartland Film Festival, they did a <laughs> an anniversary screening of The Mummy and Gods and Monsters. I think. Um, and they flew him into, into town and everything. And they did like, they do like red carpet stuff for, for Heartland. I don't know if you guys have ever been, but it's, it's pretty cool. But 
I was covering it and everything and like, okay, like this year's like big one was like, oh, Brendan Fraser is going to be there. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to Brendan Fraser. And so he's going down the line and I introduce myself and everything. I'm like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm a big fan of, I think I actually said to him like, oh, I really liked Blast from the Past because I watched it a lot when I was a kid. <laughs> And he's like, oh, my lucky stars, you remembered it. <laughs> but it was so, it was kind of awkward because uh because he had like he was like just off the plane like yeah. he had just and he he apparently had some kind of ties to Indianapolis like he used to live here and so he's like he's jet lagged he's like I, like I didn't know what to say because I, I don't remember the mummy that well and I had never seen God the <laughs> monster so I'm like oh hey uh how's it go how do you how's it feel good being back to Indi- in Indianapolis Indianapolis and then he's like oh yeah it's great just got off the plane and uh it's raining <laughs> and i'm like yeah and then there was a Ugh. little and i think i asked him again <laughs> like what was like um but he was super nice about it <laughs> even though i was a, a jackass but no it was it was it was really cool he was, he was you were funny. starstruck it's understandable yeah <laughs> now i would say that have, along with steve Odekirk, him out what would you say aaron uh, he Brendan Fraser is now in the group with Steve Odekirk of people that we are trying to get on this show. So, Matt number two, if you ever talk to him again, we need him on this show. Yeah. (laughs) I will definitely reach out to him. Uh, We became fast friends. and uh, (laughs) We see each other every Saturday, you know. I actually have a Zoom call with him after this. <laughs> <laughs> and tell him to get in with Tubi so they can sponsor us too. That's right, yeah. I probably would have just, yeah, like, uh, uh, can you read hieroglyphics? <laughs> <laughs> I would only think of Egyptian things. I wouldn't know what to say. <laughs> I like the Scorpion King. Damn it. <laughs> oh, wrong one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was it was pretty awkward, but but pretty fun. It was it was it was cool. <laughs> All right, so we were just talking about uh, Brendan Fraser. Uh, I I think is as good a point as any to kind of transition into the what mo- most of the movie ultimately becomes about is when Alicia Silverstone kind of enters the scene. Hmm. Um, you, how did you feel about uh, Alicia Silverstone's uh, entrance and progression? Okay, I'm gonna say this. I think she can act. I just don't like her face. <laughs> I just don't. What what was it, what was the description that I gave you? It it's like she's an android, and they've stretched human skin over her android face, and it has to exaggerate to make you believe it's human. That's what she is, a good actress <laughs> android, stretchy face. I, I I don't know if I would go that far. I. You said I, you didn't can, like a face too. I can I can, under, I can understand to a degree. Like I, I it was noticeable to me the the way her mouth kind of is, I guess. But I, to me, I think she's a, a fine actress. I think in this movie, she was maybe uh, not necessarily the best choice. But I, what do you think, Matt? She was the best choice choice at the time. I mean, she was really hot at that at those times, you know. Yeah, I I prefer her performance in Clueless, which is a movie that I hold near and dear to my heart. <laughs> um, we uh, won't tell nobody. <laughs> and I, I thought she was fine in this. I bought into their. Oh, I guess I bought into their kind of romantic connection. I I guess like I. Eh, it, it was it, believable. It was fine. Yeah, when when she starts getting jealous of him, when he's like, especially at the club, when he's dancing with the women and she's getting like super jealous and everything, I I bought that as like she's coming to realize like, oh, okay, he's not just someone to write off entirely. Like I kind of bought that stage of the relationship. The thing that I didn't really care that much about is just the the kind of the evolution of that. Like uh, that was like the least interesting part of the movie. Like at this point, like. Like Matt, like you said, it kind of transitions into an- another movie, and by doing that, it turns into this kind of cliched rom-com, which I am an unabashed fan of the romantic comedy, <laughs> but <laughs> it's like there's nothing really interesting to that except for the fact that he was in a bunker for 35 years, and that 
is something that becomes secondary to their kind of cliched romantic uh, relationship. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I thought she did a fine job. Um, well, my half-assed retort to that is, uh, yeah, but we've got Dave Foley on board. And whenever some, whenever the scenes were dragging, I was like, "Let's get Dave Foley back in here. He's he's always fun." Yeah, I I like the Dave Foley, and to some degree, he was like an extension. I I don't know. It she he almost covered up a lot of those scenes, right? Like it, even the scenes where she was jealous, he kind of served as he this saved them. Out, out loud voice, I guess, <laughs> of like you you look like you're jealous. Like he was almost <laughs> just narrating some, some of those assets, but he was, he was very good. I, some of the, I think some of the, the undercut for me uh, was that she didn't, I think some of the comedy was supposed to emerge that he was behaving so wildly and they didn't know yet. They didn't know for a really long time that he was in the bunker. Right. Uh, it, there, this isn't like uh, Kimmy Schmidt where it's the front and center. Um, they they were kind of like responding to just this bizarre guy that's fallen into their oh, lives. He, he's from Alaska. Um, yeah, yeah, he's from Alaska, um, and he he was very reluctant to share some of those that those details. But I think some of it would was like, un, it, it just wasn't as uh, fully realized. And then when when he did share that information, I thought the 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 scene with the family services person and the way they wrapped up the movie, I thought was really clunky, to be honest. I thought they tried to introduce something that was going to tie it back together a little bit. And like, Oh, the big payoff moment uh, for her um, to like all this new information. I I don't know. I just wasn't, I, I, I didn't think it worked very well. I didn't, even if I thought it was realistic that she would reach out to this group that would kind of, come to support this child that good or uh, bad they wrote themselves into that corner well yeah and i mean the i guess the the last thought i'd say about it is that even if you can get behind like that happening it basically did nothing like he just immediately drives off and he for some reason doesn't come back looking for it it just kind of and then she stumbles upon him they needed him to disappear so that uh so that eve could uh be like where'd he go i need to find him yeah i I don't know. I just, I just didn't think the end was very good. Sorry, go ahead, Matt. No, I was just going to agree with you that I, I totally agree that that felt, that felt almost completely out of place. Like it kind of seemed like, okay, well, on one hand, it's, it's showing that she does genuinely care for him and everything, despite thinking that he's like has some very severe problems and not buying his, his story and everything. But yeah, the whole social services aspect of it is just like introduced and then just gone because it's just a, a thing to get them to the next cliched romantic comedy bit. I don't know. I'm not going to strongly defend the moment, but it does show how uh, indecisive and, and, I don't know, self... (sighs) She's never sure of what she's thinking, is what I gather by that point. And and that moment helps her to sort of realize what she's feeling and thinking. I I, I don't know. It's it's not the most elegant way to do it, but it, it seemed true to form for her, at least. Do something I mean, rash and then realize what a dummy you were. Yeah, it does. It does kind of give that character more, more development for sure. Not much, but some. Right. It does serve that purpose. Too. Of like clarifying what she wants, you know, like rather than just bouncing around from thing to thing, which I think is was kind of her her go to. And, and they made it pretty clear. It, well, and and then the other thing you mentioned, Nathan Fillion as this like. You know, Dave Foley is that voice again. He's like, you only go for hot, stupid guy, like vapid people and don't want to actually commit your emotion, commit emotionally to anybody. And so Brendan Fraser serves as that person, I guess. But mm-hmm. um, I thought um, so part of the, the social right before the social services scene where he kind of opens up about his past is because <laughs> Adam basically is like, my dad said that if I find a healthy young girl, I should bring her down to the bunker to live with. <laughs> like, I they took on this like really creepy, creepy vibe that I thought they were going to go with, but then they did it. And maybe that's where my disappointment is. is well, she, she did call get... social services after that. Yeah, but she didn't like, you're a murderer. <laughs> like, she didn't. Like, well, she didn't know. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. She's very trusting of him, I guess. Now she I, brought up the implication that he may be a murderer, as I recall. I think she true. mentioned that to Dave Foley. That's true, yeah. Was that before or after they danced to YMCA? <laughs> <laughs> we get it, he's gay. <laughs> yeah, they yeah, they did not uh sugarcoat that for this. Um <laughs> what uh how did you feel about I, I I'm out now at the bottom on my list and I'll just ask and then we can go back to anything else. But the the kind of wrap up now he brings her down to the bunker and they kind of fast forward through, uh, you know, here's all the things we did with the money that we we got from the baseball cards we sold. Um, what did you guys think of how they kind of closed the movie? Oh, I was fine with it. I I, uh, I like the idea like something that I didn't really understand was why we needed voiceover narration, <laughs> like out of yeah. nowhere. It felt like they were trying to figure out like, okay, how can we tell the rest of the story? Like how can we just without having to shoot too much or show too much, or we don't have enough coverage to actually show it visually. So let's just have Alicia come in and read some, read some words that felt out of place and everything. But it was a very Blade Runner theatrical cut. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I thought it was fine. I, I did really like that last shot with Christopher Walken. I thought that that was really, that was really fun. But for the most part, at that point, I was just like, okay. The most, the the thing that I liked most about this movie was the naive comedy of Brendan Fraser, and the fish out of water aspect of it. And that's about it. So I had kind of checked out to an extent. Well, uh, as for the ending, I mean, it was inoffensive. I mean, it was nice that they showed that Christopher Walken finally knows what happened, and he's like, ah, can't believe it, and then he just shrugs it off. 35 years, eh, whatever. <laughs> but the point is that they had a good time doing it. Yeah. I The the couple things I kind of liked about the end was when Sissy Spacek, the you know, she's finally out of the bunker, because she was kind of the one that was so stir-crazy and just completely anxious to leave and she you know gestures when they're in their new house that they bought them uh yeah you know cal uh christopher walken's like ah it's not that different from the bunker and she's like yeah it is so she gestures to like wide open nature and you know just the to I her think that, to his credit though the bunker was was exactingly made to be just like the house and it was it, very impressive yeah. The, the bunker was super, yeah, the, like, fish tank thing. So it's like, we're never going hungry for anything. Yeah. The aisles, like a grocery store with a... <laughs> like, yeah. Dad went all out. They should be thanking him. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, what I want to know is where the poop all went. Yeah, I didn't think about that until today. <laughs> where did it go? Were they using it as, like, biofuel to yeah, power maybe. things? That would, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Burning Just it for the methane gas and then have yeah. using that. He's probably invented like the cleanest renewable energy <laughs> down there. <laughs> There's only one thing <laughs> I want to like, know. Power the world. <laughs> I have another big one for you. Here's a here's a brain scratcher. How did uh, Brendan Fraser not immediately die of sickness when he got up to the surface from being isolated from uh, everything for 35 years? How did he not get the cold and die? How did he not catch the flu and die? <laughs> Unless the dad invented point. something that lets air pump down from the surface. I vaccinated you for all current and future diseases. <laughs> the CIA told me what would happen, which viruses. I, I'm immortal. <laughs> <laughs> and I love baseball. They told me not to tell you about COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how, how would Cal, Christopher Walken's Cal, respond to COVID? You're going to want to invest in mask futures. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Uh, Can I so tell you one that, big takeaway, though? The, yeah, the big sure. thing that I, I, I took from the movie that made me happy was it was, was it was the theme that uh, society as we, well, present day then, there were, there were a lot of things that weren't so good about it. And uh, the, the Brendan Fraser character helped all those people that he connected with realize that maybe progression for progression's sake wasn't a great thing, and we had some lessons to learn from the past. 
Like, because they had that whole thing about manners. Like, Dave Foley was like, apparently manners are just a way of making everybody feel comfortable. I thought it was just to make everyone else feel uh, less than you. Yeah. <laughs> so they learned something. That's it. Yeah, I la- that was going to be. I was I was actually going to save that for when I gave my rating, but oh. I that was I that was my I, I think aside from specific scenes and you know the the technical aspects of the movie, I thought that was kind of the the nicest takeaway was that there are values from the past that we can we can learn from and are still relevant. Whereas you know they they embrace this whole movie of like he's silly and look how. Uh, out of place he is and naive or juvenile he kind of seems and to a degree that's true but there's also like virtues in all of that um, Mm -hmm. that are still important and I think that that man I think you hit it right on the head is that manners line uh, is kind of the big moment we really got rid of those didn't we Mm. perfect table manners you know I asked him about that he said good manners are just a way of showing other people that we have respect for them See, I didn't know that. I thought it was just a way of acting all superior. Oh, you know what else he told me? What? He thinks I'm a gentleman and you're a lady. Well, consider the source. Hmm? I don't even know what a lady is. I know. I mean, I thought a gentleman was somebody that owned horses. But it turns out the short and simple definition of a lady or a gentleman is someone who always tries to make sure that the people around him or her are as comfortable as possible. Where do you think he got all that information? Off from the oddest place. His parents. I mean, I don't think I got that memo from mine. Sure did. I have my elbows on the table right now. <laughs> Rude of me. Yeah, I, I agree though. That is that was a that was a really endearing part of the movie. I I like that. Yeah. It was rock solid. Uh, aside from like, Movies can be funny, but if it doesn't have any kind of underpinning, it you don't really take anything away from it. It's a, it's a whatever. This had something to take away. I do think there's there's maybe, a, and I don't know, I I don't have a well thought out, uh, you know, kind of statement on this, but I do think there's like a there's an oversimplified like perception of the 50s and early 60s oh yeah like everybody's so perfect and so polite and nice and golly like i don't think i mean that's the tv version which you know then kind of is fun to translate into a story it's gotta be half fake yeah yeah so i guess as a call out but the fact that you can kind of see how it you know you can port that you know time machine it into the present and see how it behaves i think is the what's so great of the great part of this movie um the, is the concept and how it kind mm-hmm. of toys it with was it, bold so. you don't see anything like that anymore I'm, that's why i wanted to do this movie because it was it's a dang romantic comedy and it's got more meat on its bones than most movies <laughs> coming out today at all stupid it's kind of like the reverse back to the future because it's just yeah. showing yeah um, the present day as of when it was released um, versus the past. So I, I appreciate it for that. I'm ready for a blast for the past two where we see Brendan Fraser's like caveman ancestors <laughs> come <laughs> to the present <laughs> and just behave the exact same way with Christopher. Maybe that's what Christopher Walken's working on. Grub need is, more yacht uh, batteries. <laughs> Isn't that basically Man though? Oh, no. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> it is. I have seen that. Good movie. Oh, my gosh. Uh, okay, so at the end of our episodes, we like to kind of give a, out of 10, uh, what would you rate this movie? Uh, and we'll we'll let Matt go last because I don't think I forewarned you on this. But, uh, Aaron, why don't you go first? Okay. I don't think it's a perfect movie, but I like it, and I feel like everyone would learn something, get something, laugh at something in this movie out of this movie. I didn't word that well. I give it a five. Five out of ten. That's what I gave it to. Uh, and I think Aaron and I have kind of s- synchronized like our, you know, what that means of like, I, I think this is definitely a movie worth seeing. I think it's, there's a lot to it. Five I, is I the cutoff of bit, suck. I debated between a six or a five, actually. So I was, it's kind of on the higher end. I me. wanted I, to give it, it a six I, too, but I don't feel like I, that would be genuine. I think the way it the way it ended really, you know, 
it it starts super strong and it's kind of like like a slope down all the way through for me which doesn't bode well but if it if it had like kind of swung back up or you know had some other scenes it could have been a little bit higher but i i still really enjoyed it uh this is the second time i saw it and uh, i watched it twice before we did this review yeah so i i gave it a five how about you matt um you know honestly i I would go ahead and and take the plunge and give it a six <gasps> out of ten. Oh wow! Okay. I don't have my sound effect board. I can't do air horns. <laughs> do, 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 do. I'll, I'll I'll add it in. <laughs> and even like, even though I didn't really care for a lot of the kind of cliched aspect of it and the pacing, which I thought was still really off in terms of transitioning from different movie to different movie, essentially. Um, which even when Dave Foley is introduced, he's introduced like like at the almost exact halfway point of the entire movie. And it's like, it's clear that, okay, we've exhausted the whole fish out of water with Alicia Silverstone. So now we need a third party into this group to, to breathe new life into the comedy. And it just felt like just really clunky in everything. But the reason I do uh, six out of 10 is uh, on one hand, I just really like the comedy of that fish out of water aspect of it. And I uh, am a sucker for any type of time travel in the movie. So it is, does get a point there, even though it's like not really conventional time travel. Like I said, it's a reverse Back to the Future. And then the third reason why I rated it 6 out of 10 is that I actually have a ton of nostalgia for this movie. Um, this was a movie that we watched when I was a kid when it was like on like HBO or one of the premium networks, like all the time, like after school, I would be like, oh, okay, meet the parents is on. And then, oh, after this is going to be back, a blast from the past. Mm-hmm. And so I have like that nostalgia kind of there kind of waiting it. And uh, even with the issues that I had with the movie overall, um, that it still hit that kind of nostalgic point for me. So six out of 10. Oh, awesome. Uh, well, Aaron, I, we did it. We did blast from the past. We've done it. I'd give our review a six out of ten. <laughs> do you have any plans I, uh, for what we're to do next? Yeah, I do. I think we. Uh, uh, I. I don't know if we'll do one in between, but I do know either the next episode or the one after is going to be the Vast of Night. Um, Vast of Night. Okay, our, our that's Colin, right. You did mention so. that. You uh, know, I, I had a thought we could do for for uh, Tubi's consideration. We could do a whole month of Tubi movies. I'm all in. I'm all in for that. I, <laughs> and if it doesn't work, then, you know, maybe it's time to move on. No, Paulson, no. We court. are not going to be friend-zoned by Tubi, okay? <laughs> persistence. Persistence. We love you, Tubi! <laughs> when are you going to realize it? Please text us back. <laughs> we see it. We see we see that you read our text. Tubi, please respond. <laughs> uh, Matt, uh, what uh, what's coming up for you for Obsessive Viewer and your other shows? Uh, well, I on Anthology, I'm finishing up, or I'm about halfway through the new season of the uh, Twilight Zone reboot on CBS All Access. So that I'm taking a little bit of a break from that, but I'm about to pump out a bunch of episodes on on that front. Uh, Tower Junkies, we're going to eventually start reviewing The Stand whenever we get word of when the remake or the miniseries is going to be released on CBS All Access. So that'll be on that. And then Obsessive Viewer, we, uh, we're about to do, or we just, we're about to release a review of Palm Springs and, uh, The Old Guard. <laughs> um, <Okay. laughs> good. Um, love Palm Springs though. Um, so yeah, so that that's what's coming up on the Obsessive Viewer podcast and everything. And thank you guys so much for uh, bringing me on and everything. It's it's been a blast hey. from the past. Hey, 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 hey! Only we get to do stuff like that. <laughs> uh, real quick, Matt, number two, uh, out of ten rating on Doctor Sleep, go. Oh oh, uh, nine point five. Okay, I haven't seen it. I just okay. wanted to see what another Stephen King fan thought. Nice. Um, have you read the book? I have not. Okay. Are you a fan of the uh, Stanley Kubrick movie? Yes. And are you a fan of the novel The Shining? Not as much, actually. Okay. Interesting. Um, I think you'll. I think. I think you'll like Doctor Sleep because right. it's. It's. Uh, what Mike Flanagan did with it is nothing short of a magic trick. Honestly, with <laughs> with a few exceptions, I usually find King's writing to be a little dry. Mm. But I uh, can understand that. Yeah. It's it's very much a. Uh, he's famous for just kind of 
free writing and like not planning anything out. And by free writing, you mean coke writing. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> like I, I read the Tommy Knockers twice, and that was the last book that he wrote before he got clean. And I swear, I can I, two or three times even because I listened to it on Audible for Tower Junkies purposes, and like I. I just can't, I can't put together what that book is. <laughs> it is such a mess of a novel. Yeah, I, I would also say Dreamcatcher was the one where he got clean, right? D- Dreamcatcher was the one where he... No. It was, well, he was in the process the of getting clean. No, he was... Uh, he was in a car accident. It was after the car accident. Yeah, yeah he right was, after. That's when he was... Well, like, you can't really... do coke in a hospital, can you? Well, he was on, wasn't the he on like all the painkillers and stuff when he was writing? <laughs> yeah, but within legal amounts. Yeah, but he was, he was so out of it. And he, he wrote that by, by hand and everything and like a notebook and everything. Yeah. Um, that one I, 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 yeah. I want to revisit our episode on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, rem- I vaguely remember that being one of our funniest ones. That was like, a, <laughs> that was an early one. That was a long time ago, yeah. So, hey, go go listen and watch our old Dreamcatchers episode. Then go, you know, listen to Matt's uh, entire Stephen King content. Give us I'm a sure. thumbs up or don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Matt, thank you so much for coming on, especially so spur of the moment for such a random movie. I'm glad it was one that uh, you have some nostalgia for too. So that, of course, everything with this podcast seems to like be serendipitous. So uh, it was great having you on. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. It's it's been a blast. Uh, and yeah, I'm looking for. I'm very much looking forward to your guys' review of the Vast Night because, spoiler alert, that's one of my favorite movies of the year. So I'm super excited. Awesome. Yeah, we've heard very good things. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. All right. Until next time. See you, everybody.